from St. John's Gospel, Jesus said to the man, do you want to be healed? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. How y'all doing? Here's a question for you, ready? Anybody here pray? Any of you guys like to pray? I know it's kind of like asking uh, a gathering at the Elks Lodge if they like 25-cent beers. You're all here. But it's actually an honest question, and this is what I mean. Do you pray? And if I said to you, and you said, yes, I hope you do, I'd say, well, describe what you mean. And you'd, you'd probably say that prayer is asking God for something. And that's partly true, but not the whole story. Here's why. There's different forms of prayer. There's there's adoration, there's adoration where you just admire God for his being, benediction, for example, when we do that. There's contemplation, where we think about our own lives relative to God working in them. There's, there's thanksgiving, there's benediction. Petitionary prayer is a specific, and I would even argue narrow and maybe least important, of the various forms of prayer. But petitionary prayer, which is what most of us think of immediately, is asking God for something. God, give me wisdom. God, help me win the lottery. God, heal my hamster. Whatever it is, right? You get the idea? You, you, never, you never prayed for your hamster when you were a kid? Anyway. But here's something I want, I want to challenge you today with this. This is a really profound thing. Petitionary prayer is a lot more complicated and nuanced than you might think. And what I mean by that is that God's reaction to our requests, our prayers, is a lot more multifaceted than just yes or no. It's kind of funny, you know. We pray for something and God, we get what we pray for. We say, yeah, praise report. God answered my prayer. But, you know, no is also an answer right? And so is wait. And so is, you know, Rodriguez, maybe you ought to try again. <laughs> in, in other words, the idea being that, that God is not just a great big grandfather in the sky that sort of dispenses blessings and woes at a whim, right? Sprinkle a little fairy dust over here. Yes, you get it, Billy and Johnny. Tough luck for you, kid. That's not the way God works. And this is why. Prayer in all of its forms, particularly petitionary prayer, has an overarching purpose, and it's this. It's not to solve your problems. It's not to make your life comfortable. It's to train you to learn to trust Jesus, to grow up, to man up, or woman up, I guess you'd say today too, to help us grow. Jesus' reaction to petitionary prayer helps us to grow in our love and trust in him. And we're going to talk about that today in the context of this story of this guy by the Sheepgate Pool. The guy who's a, 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 a man who is crippled from birth, who is unable to walk by the pool of Bethesda. And I want you to see how petitionary prayer works in the context of this man's struggling. Three points today. They all start with the letter C, which took me about two hours to figure out. But three points today. First, I'm going to look at Jesus's compassion towards the man. I want to look at Jesus' challenge, that's the hard one, towards the man, and then Jesus changes the man. So he's got compassion, he challenges, and he 
changes. So, the three C's, you got that? I'm trying to make this simple. I know it's warm out. Everybody's tired. Anyway, so, a little bit of background. Jesus, we find our, John tells us that we are in the city of Jerusalem and there's a feast of the Jews. We don't know which one. Nobody knows. Doesn't matter. What does matter is that Jerusalem is full of people, full of Jewish people, because that's who lives there, right? And so Jesus goes to the city of Jerusalem and the city is abuzz with activity. Kind of like, I don't know, New Orleans at Mardi Gras kind of thing, right? Or Philadelphia on the uh, New Year's Day parade, which is a rather ridiculous thing to do, I'll admit. But there are people, John zeroes in on this pool by the sheep gate, and there's a whole bunch of people there that are waiting for this water to gurgle up, and then they jump in to be healed. And there's a people everywhere around. And you can imagine, you've been to places that have healing power before, right? People, are, people go to places like that because they're desperate. You've been to the doctor, you've, uh, you've, you know, you've eat, done the keto diet, you've taken, taken your meds, you've uh, gone to the Mayo Clinic, whatever it is, man. You've tried everything and you're desperate, and so you're like, well, I guess, I guess I'm going to try this. And so these people are all gathered around this pool for one reason, and it's to be healed. And John describes that amongst this, you know, sea of humanity, people from all over, the, all over the region are there around this pool, and he zeroes in on one guy. Fascinating that he does, because there's people everywhere. And John describes one man who had been crippled for 38 years. Now, we don't know for sure, but it's probably the case that he was born some kind of either congenital, congenital defect or he became crippled later on in life. This is a real story. This isn't, this isn't a parable. But the point is the guy's lying on a mat, unable to move. Why? Well, if you were first century and you couldn't work, you couldn't eat, which means you had to beg. And they didn't have wheelchairs, so if to get you from point A to point B, you would lay on a mat and they would pick you up and they would carry you to where you're going to be and they would put you down. And then five o'clock, they come and they pick you up, your friends, if you have any, and they take you to the tree you sleep under and they put you down and they're asleep. The point is, this man is laying on a mat because he's got no other options. And here's where it gets interesting. Jesus comes along and there's people everywhere, but he has compassion on this man. That's my first point. I'm going to stop and just dial in for a moment. Let's just realize something really important here, that Jesus' compassion, Jesus never forgets us. That man was crippled from birth, most likely. I'll get to that in a second. And there's people everywhere, and I want you just to realize something, that even though sometimes people in our lives, we feel like a grain of sand on a seashore, you know? We feel like God's sort of forgotten about us, you know? These things keep happening over and over and over again, and you feel like, man, dude, where are you? I could use a hand here, right? We sometimes forget that God actually has compassion on us. We feel like we're lost in the crowd. But I want to just remind you of something important today, that you, friends, are somebody in God's eyes. And I don't say that to be sentimental and trite. It's true. He sees this man and has compassion on him. What does that mean? Well, I remember when I was a kid, my brother Jimmy, who's kind of a knucklehead, but Jimmy was probably nine years old, and he'd been out playing baseball, and uh, he was riding his bike by, a, by the baseball field. And, a, you know, baseball fields have those chain-link fences, 
You know, you ever notice the very bottom of them, of them, if you don't keep them cut, they begin to fold up. They're like spikes, which is exactly what happened. And so Jimmy was riding his bike. He slipped. I don't exactly know what happened, but he fell and he cut the one of his bottom of the fence, went through his calf and tore it from his ankle all the way up to his knee. It's nasty, nasty. He's crying like a baby, which I reminded him he was being a baby, but didn't make him feel any better. And, uh, he, I went and ran home, got my mom, and she came to the baseball field. Jimmy's still crying like a baby, and I reminded him once again. And then, <laughs> but my mom picked him up. You've done this, right? Take kids to the hospital. She picks him up, cool as a cucumber, my mother, and picks him up, puts him in the car. He's bleeding and crying. I'm reminding him he's being a baby, and he's bleeding and crying. My mother, cool as a cucumber, takes him to the hospital, brings him into the ER, puts him out on the bed, doctor gets him, they take, cut his pants, you know, the bottom of his pants off, they begin to clean out the wound. My mother felt compassion for him, more than I did, I'll be honest. And, and, it, and it, once, once the doctor, doctor had Jimmy on the table, my mother burst into tears. You ever been there? You kind of find this strength inside that you just kind of plug through and you have complete compassion and concern for your child, but then when the doctor comes, it sort of just all becomes emotion. Well, I want to just remind you something which is so profound, and we forget it, I think, I do, that Jesus is not just compassionate in the sense that he sees suffering and says, hey man, tough luck for you guy. It's not just that. That was, that was my heart with my brother, right? Too bad for you, Jimmy. Jesus, thank God, is a lot more compassionate than that. He actually feels the pain we feel. I mean, this is astounding if you consider it. That when you're suffering, it's not like God looks down from heaven and says, man, that, really, that must really be awful. He actually knows what it, he's God, right? He knows what you feel firsthand. When you are, when you're praying, scripture says, when you pray, he already knows what you need before you ask. He can feel and experience firsthand the suffering you experience. His compassion is far, far deeper than any of us can even imagine. And I want you just to realize that when you suffer, because you do. Everybody's got something, man. That Jesus is not just compassionate like I was as a 12-year-old kid. Not very. Jesus actually knows. He actually experiences what you're suffering today. He knows what you feel. He's there with you. Just let that soak in. Because, man, when you're suffering and you're struggling, you, are, you feel like you're isolated and nobody knows what you're going through, right? Isn't it terribly isolating when you're suffering? You feel like nobody knows how you feel. Well, guess what? Jesus does. There's a great quote from an Anglican bishop named J.C. Ryle. Good dude, actually. He writes that Jesus is far more ready to save than we are to be saved and far more willing to do good than man is to receive it. Oh, that's profound. So Jesus sees this man by the pool and he has compassion on him. And this is where it gets interesting. He says, Jesus goes to the man, he has compassion, and he goes to him and he challenges him. This is point two. This is probably the hardest part. Listen to what he says. It's, uh, it's wild. Listen to what he says. Jesus, verse six, Jesus saw him laying there, knew that the man had been there for a long time, and he says to the, says to the man, Jesus says to the man on the mat, 
Do you want to be made well? Well, just stop and think about that for a moment. Let's consider the context. Uh, Jesus, okay, here I am laying beside the pool of Bethesda. What do you think? Do you want to be well? Do you want to be made well? Notice the man did not ask for help. The man is not special. Everybody there has got something. And while there's all sorts of people there, Jesus singles this man out. Do you want to be made well? Just think about this. What would you expect him to say? Given the context, what would you expect the man to say? Hallelujah! Yes, I would. Jesus, sign me up. That's not what he says. Would you like to be made well? He says, Sir. The word is curios, Lord. Sir. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps in ahead of me. Let me read you the Greek nuance. May I? Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps ahead of me. It's called the Greek wine. I just made that up. But notice what he, he doesn't actually say yes. Here's a guy, ostensibly, who wants to be healed. And when Jesus actually calls him out, do you really want this? He can't actually answer the question. He blames everybody else. And he blames his circumstance. Here's a question. How often, and the answer is often, do we become victims of our circumstances? There's a thing in, uh, in psychology Maybe some of you know this, called learned helplessness. You ever heard of that before? Back in the 60s, when you could do, you could never do this today. The ethics would never let you do it. Ethics committees would never let you do it. But back in the 60s, man, they did all kinds of stuff that you could never pull off today. And one of the, one of the experiments these uh, behaviorist psychologists did is they put a dog in a crate. It was a crate and then like a little connector and another crate. Dog in the crate. They put him in there and they would shock him. And that wasn't like a dramatic hard shock, just like a, an attention getter, right? Like when you stick your tongue on a nine-volt battery, I guess, I don't know. But they would, they, you've all done it. So they'd zap him, and the dog would, and bounce to the other side, which you would expect. They'd do it again, dog bounces back. They'd do this a few times, probably had, you know, that's what dogs do. And so they do this repeatedly. The dog learns to avoid the, Punisher, technically is a term. And then they do something interesting. They close the gate. Dog thinks this is not going to go well. <laughs> but then they give him another zap. And the dog tries to escape but can't. And again, they're not, they're not torturing the animal. They're just they're giving them a, a very slight electrical shock, a startle. Dog tries to jump again. Stop. Hit him again. They do this repeatedly. And here's where it gets interesting. This was a... Nobody expected this. They were trying to t- see the tolerance of what, how much an animal could take before it began to exhibit stress. This is what actually happened. After repeated trials of this dog being punished and unable to escape the punishment, they would shock, they would shock it and it would lay down. I've seen video of it. It's pathetic in the true sense of the word to watch. Dog just lays there. Learned helplessness. 
When things go wrong over and over again, whether you're a dog in a cage or a person sitting in your chair, when things go wrong over and over again, man, we accept and we even expect defeat. How often, we learn helplessness, don't we? I mean, how often, how often do the negative things in our lives, we, we were, you know, whether it's a sin you just can't seem to beat, or a relationship you can't seem to get right, or something you're struggling against, and man, you're just hitting the wall, boom, 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 over and over and over again. Anybody ever been there before? Yes, you have. And at some point, it just becomes internal, right? You just give up. Oh, man, nothing I can do. I can't help but think that that man, after 38 years, that man by the pool of Siloam, not the dog in the crate, the man by the pool, after 38 years, he'd learned helplessness, right? And this is where it gets interesting. Because for Jesus, that is completely unacceptable. Remember, Jesus doesn't want to make your life comfortable. He wants you to grow up. And I don't, mean that, I don't mean that patronizingly. I mean he wants you to grow in your own identity of who you are as his child and that you can trust him. God is not interested in making your life easy. He's interested in, in making you grow. So Jesus, says, so Jesus wants this man to grow, not just live, but flourish. And Jesus says to the man, do you want to be made well? And then he says to him, this is fascinating. He says, Stand up. Take your mat and walk. And it's a, like a mic drop. Is he going to do it? Can he do it? It would be like if somebody walked in here today and said, Hey, Rodriguez, fly. <laughs> I can't fly. Not yet, anyway. If somebody came in and said to you to do something completely outside of your capability, this is not just Jesus' wishful thinking, get up. Would he do it? Would you do it? There's a guy named um, Tim Kimmel wrote a book. It's not a very good one, but it's got a great quote in it. It says that one's philosophy is not expressed by words, but is expressed by the choices you make. I'm going to read that again. One's philosophy is not expressed by words, but by the choices that you make. Jesus forces the man's hand. He forces your hand. He challenges you. He calls you out. He calls me out. He forces him and he forces you and he forces me to make a choice. Get up. He doesn't have to. You know, in some ways, staying stuck is easier. We learn to be helpless and while that might really stink, at least it's familiar. We were, we were talking in the adult forum today. This is, this is frequently the case in domestic abuse, right? A person who's abused physically, and they take it, and they suffer, and they struggle, and they're miserable, but they don't do a damn thing about it. You know why? It's familiar. It seeps into you, and Jesus will have nothing to do with that. Get up, he says. Any parent, remember, God is our Father in heaven, and any parent knows that you have to sometimes be firm with your children, right? To test what they're made of, to let them see that there's more to them than they think there is. That when they say they can't do it, they really can. And Jesus is saying to this man, man, you can't do this, but I can. Get up. 
So here's the question. Here's the question to that crippled man, and here's the question for you today. <laughs> it's, a, it's a biggie, and it's a lot more profound than you might think. Do you really want to be made well? Because for most people, the answer is not really. Or have we learned helplessness? Have we accepted defeat? Have we just decided this is the way it goes? Have we, because underneath all of that is really a doubt that God can do what he says and that he cares in the first place. It's interesting that when Jesus says to the man, get up, it's a Greek word, and you gotta look at it, igiro. And it doesn't just mean stand up like you would tell your you know, students to stand up. It actually has a, a nuance to it. It means get up and go. Go get them. could say it like that. Jesus is saying, get up, man, and go. Stay, stop staying stuck. Get up. I can't. Yes, you can. Do it. I can't. No, you can't, but I can. Get up and do it. And at some point, that man made a decision to push down. At some point, that man made a decision to push his feet up, and he did it. God always challenges us, but the ball's in your court and in mine. We get so defeated in our lives, we learn helplessness, we forget. We worship a God who's a lot more powerful than we are. So Jesus is compassionate on this man. He challenges him and you, get up. And then he charges him to go forth. If you read a little further on, the guy, Jesus kind of slips away. The authorities begin to question this man. What happened to you? This guy healed me. Who is he? I don't exactly know. And later on, Jesus goes and finds the guy in the temple and he says, you have been made well. Go and sin no more, that nothing worse may happen. What he's saying is, I've changed you, now live like it. I've changed you, now live like it. Paul says something similar in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Live your lives worthy of your calling. Because here's the deal. Jesus acts first. He has compassion on you. He will challenge you and me. God knows he's challenged me. Sent me to seminary in Ambridge, Pennsylvania. That was a biggie. He will challenge you to trust him and to walk. But if you do it, you'll see that he actually changes lives for good. He actually does what he says. And if you don't do it, and most people don't, you never learn it. He wants you, he wants to change you to live a life differently than you did before. A life of obedience, a life of joy, a life of trust. He wants you to grow up. The man did stand up, and here's an interesting thing as I conclude. Read it again. It's super profound. He said, it says that the, Jesus says, stand up, take up your mat and walk. The man stands and picks up his mat. Big deal. No, it's huge. Here's the nuance. Here's the implication. The thing, the mat that had symbolized his victimhood, now he the mat which had always carried him, now he carries it. He has moved from being a victim to a victor. So friends, here's my challenge to you this morning. Igiro, stand up. Take your mat and walk. You can't do it on your own, but Jesus can. And he will.
Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Jesus, who is both fearless and compassionate. He's bold. He's merciful. He challenges us, man. We thank you for your compassion. We thank you, Lord, for your strength. Give us the courage to accept your call in our lives and to follow when you call us to stand up and to live our lives differently. Not in our own strength, but in yours. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.